0: welcome to our podcast formerly known as ivan's dc update podcast edition we're still looking for a name so for now we will continue without a name but look forward to people's suggestions so my new co-host mark Irian. mark why don't you introduce our guest today
1: i'd be happy to ivan we're joined today by our uh, pretty recently new partner in the last uh, few months, Neil Chatterjee, former uh, chairman of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. I used to think that I was the energy guy around here, but what I know would fit in a thimble of what Neil has known and done in his career. So
2: very proud to have him as our new partner, Neil, welcome. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you for being so welcoming as I've made the transition to the firm. Uh, it's an honor to be a guest on this still unnamed podcast, although a question I've been asking a lot since I've joined the firm, which I think Ivan uh, would make a great name for the podcast is, is this billable? That's actually not a bad, uh, that's not a bad
0: idea, Neil. I appreciate that. Is this not billable? (laughs) So on that note, Neil, we always like to ask our guests to tell us a little bit about, you know, how you got, went about being you. How did you get to where you are, Neil?
2: Tell us your story. Well, for me, my my two loves in life were sports and politics, and my athletic career stalled out in the eighth grade when I stopped growing. And so I went about pursuing the the next best thing. Went to college, went to law school, business school. I was in business school on September 11th, 2001. Made the decision that day that I wanted to do something to serve my country. Uh, My best friend from business school wound up getting a job with then U.S. congressman representing the Cincinnati area, Bob Portman, who is now two-term U.S. senator representing Ohio. He got a job with then-Congressman Portman. I had to come back, finish law school, got married, uh, was prepared to take a job at a firm uh, in Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, and live in northern Kentucky. When I came to visit my friend in Washington, saw the work he was doing and asked him, how do I get to be a part of this? How do do I uh, serve my country in this capacity? He said, Neil, nobody cares that you went to law school, that you went to business school, you have no experience. Uh, The best we can do, Congressman Portman is on this really prominent committee, the House Committee on Ways and Means. We can get you an internship on the House Committee on Ways and Means. And so my wife and I packed up. uh, We moved to D.C. Uh, I began as an intern on Ways and Means and uh, started to, to work my way up had ultimately the good fortune to work for my home state senator. I'm from Kentucky originally, uh, Mitch McConnell. During a time he was serving as minority leader in the Senate, he would go on to serve later as majority leader. Had an incredible experience there getting to work uh, at the highest levels of the Senate. And then Leader McConnell was gracious enough to help me get appointed to the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, where I served for nearly five years as both a commissioner and chairman. It's been a great run to date, and I'm really looking forward to building upon the experiences I've had, the people I've met, and what I've learned here at Hogan Levels. Terrific. Well, we're we're flattered
0: that you chose to continue your journey with us here uh, at Hogan. So again, welcome, Neil. So, um, you know, Mark, I I've in in conversations. I don't know what you're hearing from clients, but in in most of the conversations that I'm having right now, you know, the question you know, that I think dominates Washington, D.C. today is, you know, are Democrats truly toast? I mean, things just look bad, right? If, you know, as a, as a Democrat, it's a de- depressing time, you know. Um, what are your thoughts on what's going on?
1: Well, I certainly think you're right that that, that is the uh, sort of the arc of the conversation right now, that it's almost unrecoverable. I mean, so much so that they're yeah talking about, who replaces Biden on the ticket and he has to issue a you know, statement saying he's from the white house that he's definitely running. But I, you know, I really think that this is a, a media driven narrative and that things could, could turn around really quickly because you, you always have to look at the, you know, the fundamentals and yeah, there's plenty that has gone sideways uh, for the administration, but, you know, it in, in just a few months, you know, long before the midterm elections, people are going to sit back and, and kind of think about things in terms of how it affected their lives, right? COVID maybe is in a much different place. We've already surpassed the goal of 70% vaccination rates, and now we've got boosters. A really critical infrastructure bill has been passed that we've been talking about for Decades, really, and eventually people are going to start seeing that there'll be some kind of reconciliation bill, and I don't think anyone's going to care what size it actually ends up being. Ivan, you and I have taught you—you taught me this. You know, one of those simple little things in there is, you know, caps on the cost of diabetes insulin. Yeah, that's going to change a lot of people's lives. That's that's a pocketbook issue. And I I even think, and I'd be interested in Neil's view on this, since gas prices this month have been such a a high topic, but Democrats have to not be afraid to talk about certain things. Did you know, Neil, you could verify this is true, America is producing more oil than it's ever produced, even more than it did pre-pandemic, you know, 2019, I think it capped out at 11 million barrels a day, it's at 13 million barrels a day. But I've never once heard Biden talk about that. You know, Instead, he's taking it on the chin that he's somehow kneecapping you know, American oil production. But what, what are your views?
2: Yeah, look, I think that's one of the challenges that the administration and congressional Democrats are facing right now, is how to message through this difficult period. You mentioned COVID and, and the struggles there. But, you know, the election is a year from now, and I, for one, am am cautiously optimistic and I'm really hopeful that we will have begun to really turn the corner on the pandemic and start to return to normal life by the time the election rolls around. But I think inflation and high prices, particularly reflected at the pump, that is the most visible demonstration of inflation, in my view, because we see the billboards at the price of gas everywhere and sensitive and more probably acute to the price of gas than, say, the price of a gallon of milk. And and this is a real tough position for the administration where they find themselves on a global stage saying that we need to move away from fossil fuel generation, but then domestically taking it on the chin for the price of gas. And the answer to that is, of course, more production, which kind of goes counter to the message that they're trying to broadly send. So they can't convey the message that they hope to which is that that production is at a high and that you know there there's optimism with America's energy future and i think that's just one of the challenges that comes with governing and i think when you have all the levers of government people want to blame you for whatever is taking place and i think with the challenges posed by the t- pandemic by inflation a sense that the economy is is struggling the sense of anxiety that people have they're taking it out on the party in power. We saw in the Virginia election, a blue state flip to uh, not just a Republican governor, but lieutenant governor, attorney general, and state house. But then in New Jersey, a D plus 16 state, which was a near miss for the Republican candidate for governor who invested almost no money in the race. You know, these are certainly difficult indicators for for Democrats and the party in power. As a Republican, uh, I'm certainly optimistic about the prospects for Republicans prevailing in the midterm elections. That said, I think Democrats and the administration do have time and, and we'll see what they do with their policies to try and turn the narrative around. And then Republicans also have to be sensitive. You know, there's three names that still haunt me to this day. Christine O'Donnell, Sharon Angle, Todd Akin. Republicans have to make sure they have electable candidates in these House and Senate races so they can take advantage of you know, sort of the resurgence in the suburbs that we're seeing in some areas that seem to indicate Republicans are poised to come back into power at the congressional level?
0: You know, I do think that one of the sort of regular most predictable parts about washington dc is that you will get your turn at being done as a political party it just happens right they're just you know what like after an election everybody wakes up and they're like oh they're going the way of the wings they're like this is just unrecoverable Right. So I think that's, you know, like we, we tend to fall into these deep sort of self-fulfilling conversations about where parties are um. when in fact it's never as good as you think it is when you win and it's never as bad as it is when you lose. Right. Um, You know, so I think, you know, so I think the thing that resonated the most with me, Neil, that you said is, you know, that for the most part, the public has been angry at who whoever has been in charge for a while now right like so i'm just going to throw this out there is you know is it possible that in fact the public for like the last two decades has just been so fed up with whoever's in charge that they just toss out whoever's in charge, yet the party that wins takes the wrong message. They say, aha, they finally agree with us, right? Because you, you, there's been some pretty big pendulum sh- shifts, right? Some of them bigger than others, right? Like, so what happened in New Jersey? What happened in Virginia? You know, yeah, I mean, that was a close call, but it wasn't a thumpy. A thumping was 2009 when we lost, when Democrats lost Virginia by like double digits and Chris Christie became governor of New Jersey. That was a year after Barack Obama got elected. That was a thumping right that was a thumping and and yes in fact at that time i remember people saying like okay new jersey's finally turning the corner virginia is you know is coming back home so i think a lot of these trends i think politically we tend to exaggerate their their actual meaning and i think for clients you know for clients thinking about how to navigate these waters you know i think it's just important to understand what your objectives are understand that things are going to change but that you have to keep pushing forward and think that are happening. Last thing I'll say, regardless of what you think about Joe Biden and regardless of what you think about uh, uh, about the Donald Trump administration, right? Like we hadn't seen this much stuff happening legislatively in a long time in Washington D.C. So, yes, very unpopular, yes, the whole nine yards, but we've passed laws. We've passed big laws. You know, we've passed big tax cuts. You know, the, the, the substance has been different, but the one thing that we now have are pieces of legislation moving through Congress that actually our clients can actually get you know, get to to, to solve their issues. may not be popular out there, but it's, it's, a,
2: it's a vehicle. Yeah, there's a lot there, Ivan. I'm going to try my best to quickly respond to, but I think you made some incredible points there. Uh, I do think, you know, going back a couple of decades now, both political parties have sort of misread their mandates, if you will. You know, in 2004, George W. Bush was reelected because Americans didn't want to switch horses in the middle of a war. The president campaigned on privatizing Social Security, had the belief, well, I campaigned on this and I won. I therefore have a mandate to move on privatizing Social Security. It was a political disaster, and 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 Republicans got wiped out in the next midterm. Fast forward to President Obama. You know, on Inauguration Day, two thousand nine, January twentieth, President Obama had a seventy four percent approval rating. Half of Republicans were rooting for him to succeed because I think the country truly did want to eradicate our original sin of slavery and civil rights, and we wanted the first African American president to succeed. President Obama was largely elected on who he was not so much on the the platform that he ran on. And so when he tried to enact some of the policies that he thought he had a mandate to move on, the party paid a price. Similarly, Joe Biden was elected in a lot of ways. Uh, I think Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger put it perfectly. He was elected to be normal and restore calm, not to be FDR. And I think now uh, his party is being punished because they're pursuing policies that they perhaps didn't have a mandate for. Interestingly enough, the one recent presidential candidate that actually correctly read his mandate was was President Trump. You know, he did primarily what he campaigned on, and you know was defeated. You know, I think more because of the manner in which he comported himself, not necessarily because of the policies uh, he pursued. So it'll be interesting to see what going forward. I actually tried to convince myself uh, on January fifth, when the special elections happened in Georgia, that in a lot of ways. The worst thing that happened to Chuck Schumer and, and, and President elect Biden at the time on that day was the Georgia runoffs gave total control to to Democrats, a 50-50 Senate, a four-vote margin in the House, really, really tough to get anything done. I'm wondering if Democrats would be in a better position politically right now if they had a Republican Senate majority to sort of, you know, shadow box with. Instead, they have all these expectations. The, public narrative is being defined by democratic infighting. Uh, and there's been less focus on the actual policies that they're pursuing. Polling in Virginia showed that, you know, Democrats uh, and voters in Virginia didn't know what Democrats stood for. When you talk, Mark, you mentioned, you know, the Bill Back Better and what's in that bill. A lot of people don't know what's in that bill because the focus has been exclusively on the price tag. And every time the price tag comes down is viewed as a defeat for the Biden administration but there's been no conversation about what's actually in it and that's where as a republican i don't want to get too cocky because i think democrats could message that if they can get around their own internal dynamics
1: well i i think you you both have said some really important things and i i think the corollary to you know whatever party is in power is going to get punished You know, while the nation is so evenly divided, is that the party that you know does more could get punished harder? You you get you get more in trouble for what you do than what you don't do, and you know the Democrats. Whether you know Congresswoman Spanberger was right or not, I think she was that President Biden wasn't elected to transform you know the planet, but to get back to normal. The Democrats have done a lot of stuff. So if you're going to do a lot, and this is why what we always tell our clients, uh, right, Ivan? You know, that's why we have a government relations and a public affairs team as part of our, our team here, is you've got to get the messaging right. As you said, Neil, no one knows really what's, what's in the, uh, the Build Back Better plan. But if you could break it out to something like what it's going to mean for diabetics, Uh, and the cost of insulin, uh, it would make a difference. You got to not be afraid to say you're producing more oil than any president in history. Um, You know, maybe President Biden needs to have his sister soldier moment uh, with the environmentalists. He's done more for them uh, than anyone has ever done. And but he's yeah, he might have to shut it down a little bit.
2: So, well, that's where, you know, to Ivan's point about what this means for clients, uh, I think that's such a relevant one. And 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 Mark, to what you just said, particularly in my space, the energy environment space, that's where this is headed next. Some version of Build Back Better, I believe, is going to make it across the finish line and get signed into law. Just so two massive pieces of legislation with the bipartisan infrastructure framework and the Build Back Better that is going to have to be implemented. And there's going to be huge opportunities, hurdles, challenges for clients there. And then if our collective reading of the political uh, tides is accurate, and one or both houses of Congress flips next year. that doesn't mean that you know public policy where it comes to a, a halt, everything is going to shift then to the regulatory agencies and there's still going to be substantial obstacles and opportunities that face that our clients will face uh, not just from the implementation of federal legislation but on the regulatory side as well it's a very busy time in Washington. I think we can all agree on that.
0: Yeah, I, th- I mean, I, I think that's right, Neil. I think that um, I think that we've got a very uh, busy two years ahead after the midterms. I think that, if, you know, if one or both houses, you know, flip, uh, you know, I, I think there's even more opportunities for clients, right? Because, you know, at the end of the day, back to your original point, Neil, about, you know, sometimes it's easier and more fun to be in the minority. You know, nobody will admit that but it's true, right? Because your number one job is to get the majority and your number one job is to go on the offense, right? So, but when you get those gavels, you, you have to start to govern because at the end of the day, you know, at the end of the day, people see through everybody and you know, we, they have to get stuff done, right? So, you know, I think that if you look back, not to date ourselves too much, but if you look back to you know, Bill Clinton and Newt Gingrich, that was a pretty productive time. You know, that was a pretty productive time because they even though it was ugly at the time they had to come together to get stuff done you know um so i think it'll be a different composition i think it'll be different dynamics but i think it'll be a busy time um and before you know it well we're gonna be you know in the next presidential cycle so between now and then there are a lot of planning a lot of strategic thinking um and a lot of opportunity ahead and with that we've come to the end of our shortcast Thank you, Neil, for being our guest. Look forward to having you back. And that's it. That's all, folks. That's the life we've chosen for ourselves. It's Washington, D.C.
2: Thanks.